0: I want to remind you, or maybe let you know for the first time, next Sunday, June 12th, is a Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is a Sunday in the life of the Christian church when we celebrate the coming, the giving of the Holy Spirit, as it's recorded in Acts chapter 2. That was the day of Pentecost, when God, through Jesus, sent the Spirit upon the church. So next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, and, um, you know, the Spirit came as tongues of fire upon the heads of those disciples, and... Um, Red is a good color to wear. Check your wardrobe. See if you've got any bright red because uh, it symbolizes the spirit in our midst. And next Sunday, uh, I'll be here, but I'm not going to preach. Uh, Corey Hodges, Pastor Corey Hodges at New Pilgrim Baptist Church will be our guest preacher. Uh, we're going to have communion together. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a celebrate, celebratory Sunday. So Pentecost Sunday next week. This is um, the last Sunday that we'll be doing our Bible study format for our sermons. Um, Thanks for being a part of this. I think it's going well. This is our last Sunday. Uh, How many of you brought your Bibles this morning? How many of you have them? If you don't have them, reach down around your knees and, and grab a Bible. We're in 2 Timothy, studying a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young leader, pastor named Timothy. And Paul is writing to tell him how to keep the faith how to uh, not just keep the content of the faith, but how to live that faith as well, and how to pass it along to others who can take it and transmit it and faithfully teach it. We're in chapter 2, and this morning the text before us is verses 14 through 26. Now, Bible study format is interactive, as you know. We all participate in this, so... The first question we ask is, what do we observe? What do I observe when I read this? What words stick out to me? What ideas? What actions? What contrasts? What comparisons? So so pay attention to those things as we read this now and as we listen to these words of Paul. He writes, uh, Timothy, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. ...who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place... ...and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm... ...sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord... ...must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles... ...not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay... Some are for noble purposes and some are for innoble. If a person cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do His will? May God bless to our understanding the reading from this His holy word. I have uh, Bruce. Who's with you, Bruce? Mark. Mark. Why don't you guys come to the forward here? Come down forward. You can see this way. So raise your hand if uh, if you have something to put into the discussion, um, an observation, something you see. Come on down, Bruce. Mark, would you come on down? And uh, who'd like to break the ice for us? What do you observe? What do you see? What are the things you read? In that passage that we just went over. I'm not going to let you off the hook. Who's going to break the ice? Good. Angel will get us going.
1: I was very convicted by the whole arguing part, the quarreling. Because I am an arguer at heart. If I think I'm right, I'm right. No, you're not. Well. Well, (laughs) Anyway, so that part was really just Mm. eye-opening for me because I'm sure I've read this verse before, but reading it again, I was like, oh, probably should work on that.
0: Paul writes a lot about quarrels, doesn't he? Bruce over there, Bruce? Yeah, he does write about quarrels and and stupid arguments, he uses the the term. And
2: kind of going along with that, he warns people, he says, avoid, flee from. Mm. So it's like staying away from those kinds of things.
0: Mm Yeah, yeah. Who else? What do you read in here?
2: Well, I'll just follow up on the same thing, but I come into church this morning and I immediately say to Lori, blah, 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 about my husband, Jeff. Oh, I'm going to tell Jeff.
0: (laughs) This goes on the internet, you know. (laughs) There are a lot of word words, aren't there? Notice how many words that that, that are about words. Uh, Chatter, quarreling, uh, things like that, that are that, that, that speak about how we speak, yeah, get your hand up so they can see it over here and right back there
2: I think it 's interesting that um, in twenty five he says opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, so it 's not our job to argue with them. I mean we have to remind ourselves that gentle speaking mm. and wise speaking is um, gives God a chance to move their hearts. It's not our job.
0: Yeah, it's very, the emphasis is on God will grant them repentance. I can't make them change. It's something that God has got to do. And the way we talk is important. We'll talk about that more. Yeah. And uh, back there, Kathy had her hand up too, and Dennis, right here. Go ahead, please. Oh, me? Yeah. Okay. So, um, if you got I, the mic, you got to okay, speak. Okay,
2: I shall. I like the chatter, the quarrelsome,
0: all that is likened to gangrene. Yeah, isn't that a powerful image? The implications image? are amazing. Isn't that a sharp image? What is gangrene? What is it? We got some doctors in here. What is gangrene? Anybody know? You don't know? This crowd doesn't know? It's a,
2: it's a bacterial infection in the skin that, uh, that starts eating away at the flesh. And killing the skin until it, it, it dies and it smells. It's yeah, it's bad.
0: It's, it's ugly and it spreads and it's deadly. Absolutely. Yeah. He says they're teaching. He's particularly talking about two individuals, Hymenius and Philetus. He says they're teaching what they're teaching. We don't know anything. We know a little about them, but not a lot. Um, boy, what they teach is like gangrene, it's just like bacteria, it's like a bad infection. Who else? What else do you read? We're off to a good start. Very good. Up here. Some good observations. It was almost hard
2: for me to follow because he says, starts out reminding them of these things, and then he he makes says like one thing, and then he's off on another tangent. But as I've looked at it a little more, it's like what he's doing is he's giving uh, a rule, or a warning, you know, against something. And then he gives an example of how this is working and working against God's purpose. And then an admonition at, like, the end of that paragraph saying, okay, do this instead.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Excellent. Anybody else? Keep it going. Um, I, I notice a lot of contrasts. In here, There's just a lot of contrasts. Uh, some people have hinted at them. Contrasts about words. Um, there, there's words that are, uh, you can quarrel about. There are foolish and stupid arguments. But then there's, but then there's words that are kind, words that are um, gentle. I see contrasts about kind of what I would classify, Paul might say, as bad teaching and good teaching. There's a bad way to teach and there's a good way to teach. In verse 14, he says, uh, why does he say, in verse 14, what is the reason Paul gives why he doesn't want quarreling? What will it do? Ruins those who listen. It ruins them. Now, this is a Greek word. I'm going to give it to you because I bet you recognize it. Catastrophe. Recognize it? It gives us our English word, catastrophe. He says, when when you quarrel, it's a catastrophe to those who are listening. Um, That's that's bad teaching. Gangrene, that's bad teaching. But then there's there's good teaching. Um, Correctly handling the word of truth, verse 15. I kind of think the big picture maybe in this whole passage is Paul showing Timothy how to be a good, approved worker, servant of the Lord. How not to do it and how to do it in the way you speak, in the, in the conversations you're going to engage in. That's what I kind of think. Well, let's, uh, let's get to what some of these things mean. After we, we, we make our observations, we kind of say, okay, well, what do some of these things mean? And right off the bat, I think it's clear, it's a good observation, this thing about quarreling comes up uh, and, and godless chatter. Uh, what do you think he's talking about? What, what are the quarrels that are going on? What could they possibly be quarreling about? What are the arguments? What do you think? Over here, Mark. Can you get a mic over there? That the resurrection has already happened. What verse is that in? Um, Um, Verse 7, 18.
1: 18.
0: They're saying that the resurrection has already happened. Anybody have a clue what that means, what, what they're talking about? Let me help you with that one. I had to look that one up because it wasn't clear to me at first either. Um, people were teaching that the resurrection wasn't something that was actually physical, it wasn't real, it was just a metaphor. They were teaching that when you become uh, connected to Christ, then you experience your resurrection, and it happens in your heart. And then that's it that is your resurrection. Nothing more to look forward to, that's it. It was just kind of a spiritual thing that takes place in your heart. In other words, so it's already happened. Now, one of the reasons we know they were teaching this is there's some other things that we have that, that help give us insight into what was being taught in these early years. And there was a kind of a pseudo-Christianity, a heresy going around called Gnosticism. And there were Gnostic documents um, Gnosticism was kind of a um, a belief that was Christian but wasn't quite Christian. Uh, that's the way you spell the word, by the way. And uh, maybe you've heard of Gnostic Gospels. There, there were other documents written by Gnostic Gospels purporting to be about Jesus, um, but that weren't really. Maybe you've heard of the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Phoebe or the Gospel of Philip. Maybe you remember Dan Brown. I think he's done some of this stuff with Gnostic Gospels. And you can still get them today, but... Uh, Gnosticism, a lot of the New Testament writers wrote their letters with Gnosticism in the background, instructing people, saying, be careful of that stuff. It's not really the truth, the true Christianity. Uh, Gnostic Gospels didn't make it into the Bible, and they were rejected because the early apostles, those who were with Jesus, who saw him, said it doesn't add up. He didn't say all those things, and he didn't do all those things. It's not accurate. Here were some things that were in, uh, a couple of things I'll just share with you, that were in the Gnostic Gospels that the early apostles rejected. Here are some things that were in the Gnostic Gospels that the early apostles rejected. In the Gospel of Thomas, the disciples asked Jesus, Well, when will the resurrection of the dead occur, and when will the new world come? He said to them, What you expect has already come, but you don't recognize it. In the Gospel of Philip, Jesus is purported to say, if one does not receive the resurrection while still alive, one will receive nothing at death. Boy, there's not much hope there, is there? And then in another uh, piece of writing we have, Jesus says, you already have the resurrection. Now the apostles said, uh-uh, didn't say any of that. That is not true. We were with Jesus. And, and Paul um, takes this and says, this is the type of thing that Hymenaeus and Philetus are teach, teaching. And he says, it's wrong. Yes, it's true when we come to Christ, when we're baptized, there's a sense where our hearts are made new and and we have been risen with Christ. But there is more to come. There is a real physical resurrection with our bodies that's still going to happen on that day we are united with Jesus. No, it hasn't passed. It's not all over. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. He says, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So that's what they were teaching. I, I hope I've made that clear. I've tried to. Um, and, and it was not mainstream Christianity. By the way, I, I talk a lot about this. I talked a lot about it back at Resurrection Sunday in my sermon for that Sunday. So go back and read that and, 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 or listen to that. Uh, uh, and, and you see how this same teaching has kind of crept into today. That the resurrection is just a metaphor. It's not a real thing. It's just kind of over-spiritualized. Well, not in Paul's view and not in the early apostles' view. They said, oh, no, it was real, and it's going to be real for us, too. So that's part of what they were teaching. Okay, I kind of took over there. I wanted to guide us through that. What do some of these other things mean? Um, What about quarreling um, and arguments? What are some of the things we quarrel about today? Maybe we don't quarrel about that as much, but are there quarrels, maybe stupid arguments that go on in the church today that those who are listening... Hear it and say, Oh my gosh, I don't know about that. Christian, those Christian people, I don't know about their churches. Are there some quarrels that go on today? Can someone give an example? You think of any? None? Okay. How about um, like end times, last time stuff? This is when Jesus is coming and this is the way it is. I mean, that's important. But is it worth, you know, dying for? Getting fists up and punching one another out for? I'm not sure. You know, I think when when people see the church, well, we're quarreling about when when Christ is going to return. I'm not sure that's a good argument to have. Discuss it, talk about it, but I don't know if it's a good uh, argument. What are some other quarrels? Can you think are stupid arguments that take place that just have no place? Over here.
1: I think especially in Utah, we deal with a lot of arguments between different churches. Um, Well, and since the majority is of a different religion, that is a huge argument, especially within like public schools, work environment. You're dealing with people who believe something very different. And sometimes they're willing to argue, and so you're willing to argue back. And you really don't get anywhere. It's like talking to a brick wall on both ends, which really doesn't do, you know, neither church really believes that, but that's what happens. And I think that's a big argument, especially here. I'm sure that takes place outside of Utah, but considering this is where I'm from, I think that's a good example.
0: That's a good example. Anybody relate to that? I really think that's a good example. And, uh, you know, sometimes just within Christian churches, denominations, why do we have all these splits? Well, because people are arguing about things that sometimes they're not the essential thing. I know churches that are split because someone's reading the wrong version of the Bible. I know churches that have split because someone's not reading. Someone's reading one King James and someone's reading another King James, and so they don't want to, They argue about it. I don't know if that's. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I don't know if that's central to our faith. You know what I mean? Good, good illustration of that. Other thoughts on that. Uh, what some of these things mean? What do you What do you mean? What do you think about this? In verses twenty and twenty-one, can I ask you this? Help me understand. What he means when he's talking about the silver and the gold and the wood and the clay, and there's some things that are for a noble use and some things for not a noble use. What do you think that means? Anybody have a clue? Here, we got a hand up over here. Anybody have some insight into this?
2: Well, I don't know if it's insight, but when I read it the first time, I thought it was idol worship. Idol the- worship.
0: Someone, someone thought that in the first service, too. That was something, so uh, that, that's a thought. Any others?
2: I think it um, recognizes our humanity, that in each of us there's the good, there's the bad, Mm -hmm. that we all have parts of us that may not be very godly, Mm -hmm. and it's what you choose to uh, nurture as a part of yourself.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it, yeah. Over here, Bruce.
2: And I was thinking it could be also a comparison People place more value on gold and silver, but not on wood and clay, but that isn't necessarily true. Uh-huh. Yeah. One does not maybe have more value than the other.
0: Maybe not. What does Paul say he wants? Um, verse 21, I'm looking at. It seems to me he suggests that if a person cleanses himself from what's not noble, from what is ignoble, then you can be used for noble purposes, right? There's a, a, something you need to be cleansed from, he says. Um, I think it's a hard image. Let me take a stab at it. I think he's kind of making the comparison between paper plates and Lenox china. And he is saying that, you know, in a house we have paper plates and we have Lenox china. And he's saying to Timothy, be a Lenox plate, china plate for God. Don't just be a paper plate. Cleanse yourself from things that will make you mediocre and just kind of down here and, and, and kind of lukewarm. He says, be silver, be gold for God. Be your best. Be something in his hands you he uses, as he says, for holy, useful purposes to the master, and you're prepared to do any good work. Be fine china for God. What do you think? It's one one take, one take. Think about it.
2: You know, he doesn't define which is of more value. No, he doesn't. So I think it it calls for an individual evaluation of what we personally not only struggle with as sin, Mm -hmm. but also um, what's valuable in our gifts, for example, or in our relationship with him. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Paul talks a lot about um, quarreling and and arguments and, and what is good teaching. What does he say... Verses 24 and 25 I'm particularly looking at. Donna Rhee already pointed part of it out. But what does it mean when he says that the Lord's servant, instead of quarreling, must be these things? How does he say that the good teacher that the Lord's servant should be? What is the way that we should speak? What was it? Gentle. To be gentle? What else? Not, Not resentful be angry, don't be resentful. What else? Kind to who? To everyone. Not just a few, but be kind to everyone. Gentle, not resentful, be kind. And he's talking about even if people oppose you, even if they, even if you feel differently about something. Those are really important things to guide, I think, the way we talk, the way we engage with other people. Um, I I come back, an angel gave a good example I think um, sometimes in, in, in Utah and particularly if we're talking to people of another faith it doesn't even have to be LDS maybe it would be a, uh, an Islamic person or, or a Buddhist person but instead of arguing about the right and the wrongs be able to listen but, but, but be kind be gentle even people within our own faith you know resentment isn't going to do much in a discussion it's just going to lead to that quarreling uh, and that argument uh, being argumentative Yes? What
2: I like about this
0: is, he says, do your best, not be perfect. Very good. Verse 15, look at that. That's a good observation. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one who's approved. Don't have to be perfect. Don't always have all the answers, but do your best. Do your best. and. There's a phrase I want to point out in that verse. Uh, he says, someone who correctly handles the word of truth. Correctly handles the word of truth. The, the Greek word means to cut straight. To cut a straight path, as like as when a farmer cuts a straight furrow when he's plowing his field, he cuts those lines straight, up and down. You don't see farmers going off and zigzagging. And they are straight up and down. That is contrasted with verse 18, where he talks about these two characters who have wandered away from the truth. The meaning of that phrase is to swerve. It's actually a phrase from the world of archery, the bow and arrow, and shooting an arrow and missing. You know, when you shoot an arrow, you want to hit the target. But they've swerved. They've shot their arrow to the wrong side. But Paul says to Timothy, you cut a straight line with the word of truth. You make sure it's right down the middle right down the middle up here in the front and back there Mark up here, go ahead, Dave
1: I find it interesting that he said um, the, flee the evil desires of the youth and pursue righteousness I mean, why did he say why did he single out the youth excellent, question. excellent yeah.
0: question why do you think Who's he writing to? Who's he writing to? Timothy. We know Timothy's a, young, a younger man. Timothy's not an old, wise, experienced guy. This is, he's, he's, this is a, a young guy, and uh, he's writing to a youth, in essence. Um, don't know exactly how old Timothy was, but he was kind of like a son, and, and, and Paul was like his father. And by the way, that, that phrase, evil desires of youth, it doesn't mean lust, it doesn't mean passions. It has more the meaning of being headstrong, being ambitious, and being argumentative. And he says, flee that. Get away from that. But what does he say? Pursue certain things. Go ahead.
2: Well, I'm kind of backtracking, but going off of what Dennis said about verse 15, I thought it was really interesting because, it, at least in my experience, it's very rare for them to say, do your best in the Bible. So this kind of assumes that you're not going to be perfect and that you're going to screw up. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah I think that's true. I think it's a word of grace. You know, you don't have to be perfect, but, um, but be your best. Be as good as you can be for God. Um, be what he wants you to be. Oh,
2: here. And see, and I relate that back to the gold and silver and wood and clay and take a different perspective than you. Uh-huh. And if you only have wood and clay to offer... That's your best, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be gold and silver every time. It's kind of like I know when I first started Bible study quite a few years ago. They said, you start from where you are. You don't have to know the whole Bible and offer that to people. You give what you have to give.
0: That's right. That's right. Very good. I see anybody else up here. Uh, Bruce or Mark? Please. Please.
1: What's interesting? Oh gosh.
2: What's interesting is if you go to
1: the very first one, it says keep reminding. When you have to remind and remind and remind, that means it's not natural, and so you have to just keep it on. So it's not natural for us to act like this. It's just telling us how to be mentors.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a good word. You have to re, you have to keep reminding of these things. They're easy to forget. Easy to forget. Right over here. Um,
2: I want to go back to what the, the lady over there said about the uh, gold and the clay, and how you have to maybe work up to the gold, but it, it never says that the gold is the best because uh, there's always, you know, the false idols made of gold. Yeah. And um, then it says to cleanse yourself. So if you're the clay, you can, um, it doesn't matter, like, what it is, but you cleanse it and it's as good as gold.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, in, yeah. Second, and in Second Corinthians, Paul uses that same term, term clay and he says, you know, we're just clay jars and it's the power of God. We're clay jars. It's the power of God that shows within us. We're just plain ordinary. But when we do something uh, great, it it's, shows that it's God's power inside of us because we're not that much. So y- you can read it like that. You can take it like that. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up this way. Paul wants to tell Timothy, this is how you talk. This is what you do. This is how you are the Lord's servant, an approved teacher. What are some of the things we've seen? What does it mean to be an approved worker verse 15? What does it mean to do your best to be an approved worker? How take some of the phrases. What have you learned? What have we learned that it means to be an approved worker? Just shout it out. Don't quarrel. Be kind when you talk. Yeah. Say it again. Don't be resentful. Do your best. plain and simply, and, and, and be able to teach, correctly handle the word of truth. Correctly handle it. Anything else? Don't be ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we pick up the Bible and when we open it up, anybody can read it. You can read it, I can read it. There are words there that God... Uh, through His Spirit, will lift up for us, and uh, I hope you continue to engage individually with others uh, in reading God's Word and just discovering the many messages. This is how God speaks to us, and it feeds our faith. Thanks for participating in this um, and, and being willing to share and being willing to think about it. Let's pray.